hello and welcome to the Flix Forum Podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original in the order of release. This one, we have Netflix 201st film from 2019. It's the biographical drama, The Two Popes, directed by Fernando Morales. It stars Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. I am here with MJ. How you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm a little bit raspy today in the in the throat, so excuse me if uh, if it doesn't sound as maybe it's going to sound a bit sexier than normal, which is probably not what we're going for with the Two Popes podcast. But um, yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> You've thrown me already. That's a little bit of sexiness with the Popes. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Um, obviously, better than you, but this is uh, going to be a good one. Good chat. I think uh, this is one of those ones that has sat there as a one we probably sort of had in the back of our mind as we're looking forward to doing it some stage. So we're here. Mm. We got there. All right, let's let's start. Our Fast Flicks gives a quick summary of what it's about. So what's the two popes about for you? Yeah, really, really basic. Um, it, it's a snapshot. For me. for me, it was a snapshot into the life and journey of, of Pope Francis centred around the time when uh, he intended to retire as a cardinal. Yeah. That's uh, Pope Benedict is uh, trying to convince Cardinal Bergoglio to consider, so reconsider his resignation from the church while also considering his own abdication. Mm. Mm. This is a, uh, this was a big film when it came out. So we, we're going to have a bit to say, I'm sure. Um, what would you like to say about it? Yeah, I'll try and keep it somewhat brief, but there's, there's a little bit here. Obviously you're right. It was, it was a very big, big film for, for Netflix and it all sort of, started to become in the public eye uh, in September of 2017 when Netflix actually announced that they were going to produce this film. Um, it was directed by Fernando Morales and it was written by Anthony McCartan. Um, straight from the top, Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins were, were already cast in the two lead roles. The screenplay, from what I can gather, is actually adapted from a play that was written by McCartan called, called The Pope, which actually premiered at the Royal and Dengate Theatre in 2019. Um, very similar to, I think it was a few months prior to the movie actually being released, but obviously it was written written beforehand. Um, and then they began began filming uh, this in in Rome in April of 2018. They, they filmed at a refugee camp in Rome. They filmed at a full size reproduction of the Sistine Chapel interior created at the Sincita Studios in Rome, uh, an area outside the Castel Gandolfo, which was where they filmed the Pope's Summer Palace. There was various locations in Rome as stand-ins for the Vatican and some of the poor areas of Buenos Aires. And the St. Peter's Square Plaza was actually recreated using computer-generated imagery. So obviously watching this film, there's a lot of very famous historical uh, settings in it. And it's interesting to see that the lengths they went to to try and recreate these. Obviously, they can't just go, hey, uh, Vatican City, can we just pop in for a little bit? We just want to film a movie. We're we're just going to use a few rooms (laughs) where the Pope uses Um, so I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the reconstruction of the Sistine Chapel specifically was, was built in a studio during this eight-week period um, and to create that that realistic look for the artwork, which they do focus on, you know, quite uh, quite a lot in this film. They actually hired a company that produced a, a stick-on tattoo that they put on the walls for it. So um, they filmed it. Then it had its premiere at the Telluride Film Festival on August 31, 2019, it also screened at the Tor- Toronto International Film Festival on September 9, 2019. Netflix gave this one a limited theatrical release in the US beginning on the 27th of November and in the UK as well, which obviously makes sense. 
um, beginning in November 29, 2019. And then it started streaming on Netflix worldwide on December 20. Obviously, we know if, if a film wants to be uh, Academy Award nominated, it has to have a theatrical release, which makes sense why they did this. Um, it it did gross around $32,000 from four theatres in its opening weekend. So it really was just a token cinema release. They were pretty happy to get most people watching this on uh, on their TVs. Cool. Yeah, and I think overall worldwide it took 758,000. So, um, you know, decent, obviously a decent amount of theatres around the world that it ended up in. And, you know, it did play a whole bunch of, I think it was like 12 other festivals apart from Telluride and TIFF, which is, um, you know, they're obviously trying to get it out there to be seen um, in the lead up to the awards conversation, I guess, because this, around the award season, it, it had 11 wins and another 58 nominations, mainly for the performances. Uh, and I think the, the biggest ones that you can probably look at would be the Oscar nom. So uh, best performance by an actor in a leading role for Jonathan Price, uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Hopkins, and then the best adapted screenplay as well. So other big awards really had five BAFTA mm. noms and a few, a full Golden Globe noms as well. So obviously... Um, well-received based on the performances in this one too. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, go back to when you're talking a bit about the recreations of these famous locations because, you know, the the church obviously denied them from, uh, they did ask, they, they were denied from, from filming in these areas. And it's just interesting that, like you mentioned too, that the title of the, the film or the, the play, The Pope, and then Anthony Hopkins got on board and he said, no, nah, I want the title to be The Two Popes. So they're like, yeah, cool, we'll get <laughs> you on board. Really? So so we'll, we'll change the title to The Two Popes. And I actually like the title. I think it's a, it's a good change too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the content is based on historical events, including like the speeches and the philosophical ideas that they discuss. Um, but, you know, this is a, this is a fictional film realistically, uh, but done in a nice way, I think. So, the other little little tiny bit, Benedict, uh, you know, he drinks Fanta in this film. And this is a good one for mm. history buffs because um, I knew this this fact anyway, but, you know, in Nazi Germany, you couldn't get Coca-Cola. So that's when Fanta was invented. So it's a nice little um, take back to his youth and his childhood in Germany. Uh, translations. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, no Coca-Cola in World War Two in Germany. So that's, that's how we got Fanta in the world. It's a German creation. There you go. The tagline for this one was basic, boring, inspired by true events. Not worth, not worth touching because okay. it gives us nothing. But uh, the one, one good translation in the world in Taiwan, this was called the Pope's Succession, which uh, isn't too bad a sure. title. What are the critics and the audiences saying about this one? Yeah, well, this was a bit of a darling, wasn't it? I think it sort of came out of the blue somewhat. Obviously, you got to. <clears throat> A movie about a big historical figure starring Anthony Hopkins is, is going to get a bit of buzz anyway, but um, kind of made a really late run in those a lot of those awards. Obviously, it released quite late in 2019, but it's sitting at a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and that's of 122,000 ratings, and a 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd, and that's 125,000 ratings. So very similar amount of ratings numbers, very high numbers. Um, big success for, for Netflix. Yeah, and critics as well on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at eighty nine percent on two hundred and twenty five reviews, so that is certified fresh. The audience also extremely high on eighty eight percent, and that's on over two and a half thousand as well. So on that high end from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So overall, yeah. we'd say a pretty uh, big success for Netflix. But Absolutely, is it, is it a success for you? What are your early thoughts? Oh, and that's the real important question too. Look, mm. I, I thought this was a this was an impressive feat for me. I think. To make this film as engaging as it was, when you consider the the content, 
Um, you know, the idea is that we are going to follow for two hours a couple of a couple of people who are high up in the church having conversations about yeah. their beliefs, their their past, and that's that's the crux of the film, and it's incredibly engaging. I thought Jonathan Price was was truly phenomenal in this movie. Um, and unsurprisingly, Anthony Hopkins completely lives and breathes this, you know, Ratzinger, a very interesting character and probably quite hard to pull off. He does a great job there too. But I just, I really enjoyed a lot of the long dialogue pieces that the way Jorge was able to articulate and, and justify his stances whilst remaining this really honourable and respectable character was, was, was fantastic. And there's just something so empowering about watching somebody, or in this case, a character who is so sure of his philosophies and the decisions that he makes off the back of it. And, and even though he's doing things that are controversial, but he's so comfortable doing it because he's so aware of he's making the right decisions. There's something really strong about watching that. It really, it really gets me. And it was, you know, as powerful as any in this film. Nice. Yeah. I, I saw this when it was released. So, uh, you know, around the Oscar buzz got involved, remembered enjoying it. And yeah, you know, I enjoyed it again. I think three years sort of further, personally removed like away from this film and three years on from sort of the idea of what the church is it sort of like made me re-question like francis's reign sort of again because um i'm not sure if it's like because it's we've had two years of the pandemic but i feel like i haven't heard or seen uh much of him like in real life which sort of fascinated me a bit more with this story um which i thought was interesting so yeah enjoyable pandemic would play a huge part in that let's be honest yeah, I, I get that, but at the same time, that's the sort of time that you'd expect the leader of you know one of the biggest faiths or religions in the world to be up talking about you know care for your neighbour, do these you know positive messages, and I don't remember seeing any of that during the last few years. Which I, when thinking about this, I was like, hmm, it's really interesting. But is that also because the the media is showing other things? And it's not yeah, whether he's not doing it or not, and yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we should say as well we're gonna we're gonna spoil this film. Uh, we haven't quite done it yet, um, but if you haven't watched it and you don't want it spoiled, watch it. Come back, have a listen, and exactly. uh, go from there. So characters, yeah, I, I obviously want to start with uh, Jorge Bergoglio, played by Jonathan Price. I just uh, what what a a noble, humble leader he was. I, I think it's it's his down to earth personality that helps make him resonate with audiences immediately when watching this film and probably allows for us to ease into this film without being concerned by copying this full dose of religion. Um, there'd be a lot of people who would watch and enjoy this film who aren't necessarily familiar with the way the Catholic Church runs or the papacy runs or, or religion in general, but it's not a barrier, which is which is great because it very well could have been. Um, so I'm watching this film and I'm, I'm just completely hooked on this character. and I want him in every scene. I want to follow him everywhere. I want to listen to everything he says. I even found myself less interested in his backstory, and I understand it's his really important to who he is. Um, but it's not the character that sticks with me because he's he's grown from that. And the character, you know, by the end of the film or by the end of his later in his life, that's the character that really that really stuck with me. And I just wanted more and more of that because I thought he was fascinating, and I loved his his ideas and his views and his stance on it all. Yeah. I I found it really hard to talk about them as characters when you know so much of them as real human beings. And sometimes that, that's tricky, especially when it's a fictionalized account of of conversations and things between the two characters. But you're completely right in that he, he's the, the Pope that in creating this, they want the audience to be with because he's that signal of hope. He's that idea of moving forward and, and, and positivity for 
um, a church that obviously needs that when, you know, they're seeing the lack in numbers and, and followers and, and need something to revitalize what's going on. So it was really clear in these two popes as characters that they were the complete polar opposites. Like you've got Bergoglio, who is that progressive reformist who's come from South America, which is a completely different, um, you know, realistically, most popes are from the Northern Hemisphere. And, and for him to come from the Southern Hemisphere with these different perspectives that you speak about, it's really engaging. And I, I agree a little bit that I think he needed a little bit, some pieces about his previous ministries before becoming Pope, but I think the the backstories at times did sort of take away from, I wanted more conversations between the two of these because mm-hmm. to me, they were the most engaging thing and you got so much more out of who they, they were through this dialogue. So I think that, you know, it would have just been so much nicer to, to cut a bit of that out to give us a couple of extra, you know, chats between the two and, and where they're at. Yeah, that's a good call. I agree with that. And look, my, my thoughts on Ratzinger, from a, from a movie perspective and the story yeah. narrative perspective, he's kind of the old, crusty, stuck-in-his-way other guy to our hero. And, and I know you're sort of going out on a bit of a limb to tag this as a movie with a hero and a villain. It's not that clean, but uh, in, in a real basic sense, you know, we're all on board Team Bergoglio and Ratzinger is diametrically opposed to him in many ways. So it, it's it's kind of interesting to see the slow turn that he does have. and He's battling his own demons demons that are impacting the job that he's doing today. But it's it's kind of also hard not to respect his ability to move away from the traditions of the church to make what, what ultimately feels like the right decision to stand down and how that decision seems to shed him of any sort of prejudices that he had within him for that. It's almost like there's this moment where he has this decision. He's like, look, I am. I'm going to stand down. I'm just letting you know I'm going to stand down. And it's just like you could feel the weight come off his shoulders as soon as he does that. And I think they do that really well to make this character who you, you don't really like to be someone that I don't think by the end of it, you love him, but to be someone that you understand that the, the trans transition that he's made throughout the, throughout the 120 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. Like this is that part of that fact versus fiction where um, like growing up Ratzinger or Pope Benedict was, was someone that I knew a lot about and, and I'll probably talk a little bit later about that, but, you know, he, he was very, you know, very conservative, this traditionalist, which we see in the film, stubborn, lonely, eats by himself. And that idea of him getting ready to to step down for the betterment of the church and that relief is really good. Um, it's just hard when to fictionalise this, you make it as in he's supportive of getting Francis in the role when that's not necessarily <laughs> the case in real life. So yeah. it's nice in the movie world and it, it goes really nicely in the narrative of this of where this is at, but it's just tricky when you know that he still <laughs> lives in the Vatican and is still a little bit of a critic of, of Francis and every now and then pops up and sort of uh, makes some commentary or some, some negative calls about what Francis is doing. So it's just a, it's just an interesting way to do it. That we've got a nice happy ending where it's not necessarily like that. They're not sitting on the couch watching sure. soccer together. <laughs> this is like, I'm not going to pretend like I know the intimate details like you seem to about these two guys in, in, in real life. I know, I know who they are because yeah. they're the Pope and you sort of know who they are. I remember when the, the transition or the, mm-hmm. the handover sort of happened and that's kind of it. I, I, I don't, I don't have that much more of, of knowledge on it. So the, the minor details, which might feel like a bit jarring to you <laughs> um, as, as a general movie watcher didn't obviously pop out for me. Yeah. And that's good. And, but I still enjoy it. Like it's not like I enjoy yeah, the yeah. narrative of the film. It's just things that are running in the back of my mind. Like, yes, I'm enjoying like, 
I love the moments of them together. I love the conversation. Like, yeah. I know these conversations didn't happen, but I think they're great. But at the same time, there's a part of me that sits there and goes, imagine them actually having this conversation. Like, ridiculous. There's almost <laughs> that, that green light when it says at the start, based on a true story. And like, I think it says based. Whatever it was, it made me think like, hey, in general, these events happened. But, you know, so much of this is 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 fictional. And it's almost like that green light. And it it's not like they've gone completely out on the limb, but it's... Yeah. um. As soon as I read that, I'm like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take these details with, with somewhat of a grain of salt. I think they didn't actually like meet properly, like, and have a good conversation until Francis was already pope for a while. Like, that's that's how yeah. far from it is. So anyway, um, did he actually want to resign? Is that true? Yes. Well, he yeah. Did. Okay. Well, yeah, he did. He wanted to step down, and there's discussion and debate as to why that happened, whether it was pushed and or forced to. And they sort of mention on this through the dialogue of the film as well, like. Is this your choice? Is this your call? Is this, do you really want to step down? Because, you know, previous popes, like, literally, they're on their deathbed and they're still happy to stay pope. So, you know, it's a it's a pretty big thing for a pope to step down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Didn't it happen once, like, 800 years ago? In 700 years, yeah. That's it. All right. Uh, I haven't got any other characters to talk about. <laughs> no, they're, <laughs> that, they're that's, that's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the director, Fernando Morales, he's got an interesting sort of catalogue there. Some yeah, really, like he's, he's yeah. Brazilian. Yeah. Um, uh, nominated for Best Director in 2004 for City of God, which I haven't seen, but I would like to see. Mm. Um, directed The Constant Gardener with Ralph Fiennes. Mm. 69 award wins and a further 49 nominations. So he's not that typical director we've seen on a lot of the Netflix movies that we've done. No, and the, the idea was, you know, he uh, directed the opening ceremony of the Rio Olympics in 2016. <laughs> and... Um, that sort of pushed this film back because he wanted to do it. And then he sort of knocked it back because now I'm putting all, he put two years into that opening ceremony. And then when that was done, it was still ready to go. So I was like, cool, back on board. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little story. I love an opening ceremony, but I can't say I specifically remember it. Remember it, me either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are, what are some scenes that you enjoyed in this one? Yeah. Like there's probably a, a theme to them, but I mean, their first, proper meeting in the gardens um, and mainly just that, that dialogue in that scene, particularly Jorge. And as I said earlier, his, his sound justification on his stand, it's like he's going head to head with, with the Pope basically saying, yeah, I, I disagree with you. on this. I, 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 in some sense, I disagree with the church. And what I like about it is he's pulling passages from the Bible that potentially contradict what, um, what Benedict's saying. He's like, yeah, you're saying this, but the Bible also says this, it gave me a real, really strong Come Sunday vibes, the movie that we did with Chiwetel Ejiofor and Jason Segel, where, you know, they basically have this, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character has this awakening as a, as a, um, as a priest. And he, he interprets the Bible differently to what other people are interpreting it. And that, I think that's the beauty of this is it can be gray. And if, if you've got a certain feeling or something, then it's not that the Bible says you can't do it. It's just, it might say in a roundabout way that you can do it. And, and I thought that was really well, well handled and well justified. Um, I really like the scene where Jorge goes into the bar to watch soccer, and there's a moment where he celebrates with this this fellow Argentinian guy, and then not long after, you know, they they sort of have a have a prayer, and he says, you know, pray for pray for the Pope, and he and he basically has a dig at the Pope, you know, that stupid Nazi or whatever, and, and Jorge or Jonathan Price just just sort of says. His face just drops and he just says, oh, no. And he just says the word no. And, and there's just so much in that no. There was obviously a sadness that 
this guy who's just celebrating this would say that. But there's also a realisation of what the wider world might be thinking about the Pope. But I think the biggest thing is this understanding of, of how Jorge, who is opposed to, to the Pope in so many ways, but he can see the good in people despite the differences that he has with the Pope, that the idea of someone saying that the Pope is a Nazi doesn't sit well with him, even though he disagrees with this Pope and hasn't had a good relationship with him anyway. I just thought it was wonderful the way that they captured that moment and that character. And I, I thought it was really, really powerful. Um, yeah, really, it really got me. And um, the final scene I do want to bring up is when when uh, when Jorge was leaving initially and the, when they did the bit of a tango, I thought that was a bit on the nose. But I did like how Ratzinger continuously was just saying bye to Jorge when he leaves. He says bye like five times. He's like, bye, bye. He's just like waving. And it just that, that impact that he'd had on him in such a short time. This is a man who he genuinely didn't like. And then by the end of it, he was he was sort of pulled in by his charm and his leadership. And, um, and again, it's just a little thing that, that made you realize how the entire setting had changed um, off the back of the meeting. Uh, and it was it was great. And also, he got that hug that he, he longed for at the start. <laughs> they, they did have that embraced uh, as he exited as well. So, yeah, nice turnaround. Um I think the, the the way, like you sort of touched on this, but the way that the criticisms of the church were were sort of dealt with underhandedly, like we're really good, like that idea of Ratzinger being the Nazi, like the the under under um, tones, I guess, of of the arrests, the allegations, the loss of followers, like they, these needed to be touched on when you you've got a film about two popes that are meant to be dealing with these issues. Obviously, you need to touch on it, but I like that they didn't put too much focus on it. It's nice to have that underlying current, so that was good. Um, like you mentioned, that, that conversation in the garden was just a standout. Even the way that they shot it with, you know, a few of the high-angle shots looking down on them, the extreme close-ups on their faces, faces so you could see, you know, their emotion and, and their frustration or or concern, a perfect start to this film or the perfect start for the two of them to meet and start off. Because obviously, as you mentioned, the, the complete opposites of, of where they were at, it was nice to see that progression throughout the film. Um the Sistine Chapel, like the the we'd obviously seen it prior, but the first uh, scene where Bergoglio sort of walks in there and it's like dark and then the lights all just come on and he, mm. and he walks in. It just produced that sense of wonder, that idea of I'm in this room completely by myself, which which and they make mention of this very hard to do. It's always packed, hundred percent packed all the time. Mm. So it was nice, and then it was nice towards the end too, where they use those real photos of of Francis going in there um, with the actual public. Like that was cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I did enjoy the, the the final scene of them sitting on the couch watching the World Cup. It was just a nice end to what it was a nice film, uh, especially with the the candle, the reverse sort of flame shot that they spoke about earlier. Ah, uh, that's um, right. That, that was cool as well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's that's me done. So, is there anything that you didn't nice. enjoy? Well, I, not really. I, this is almost one of the first films that I can say there's nothing that I didn't enjoy. I thought it was a very well rounded film. But I'm going to mention one thing, and it is. In, the, in that file scene that you mentioned, I don't know how I felt about them painting soccer as this really tough, rough game. I, <laughs> they, all, the, all the highlights about these warriors going into battle, um, it did not sit well with me. It's one of the softest sports in the world where these guys, you know, playing for free kicks all day. It's one of the reasons why I can't watch the game. So that was... Uh, that was, I mean, obviously directed by a Brazilian, right? So yeah. trying, it's their, uh, it's their no, religion. Sorry. Their face. Yeah, like, I know. Almost as big as like the, the anyway. Uh, yeah, to me, like yeah, I sort of, we sort of mentioned this before, the the flashback scenes for Bergoglio, good context, they were important, but there were just too many of them. And 
as I said, we would have much preferred more conversation between the two. Um, so just a little bit too much. Yep. All right. I agree. That's fair. Themes, ideas. There's lots in this. What What are some things you took out? Yeah, I'm just trying to really focus on the the stronger ones. Um, and I think one of the big things is the idea of change. And it's not just the idea of changing with the times and, and letting go of some traditions that might be uh, no longer relevant, but the, also the idea of changing your perspective on on a person um, and, and changing why their ideas actually might have merit when you otherwise didn't think they did. And I think that's, that's a really strong focus of this film. Um, and it kind of ties really nicely into a more explicit one is absolving yourself. There's two, two characters in this film, both have moments where they talk about their past things that really have, have, have stuck with them. And I guess it's almost in the idea of confession quite, quite plain and simply that they, they basically reveal these two, uh, I guess, misdemeanors for lack of a better word of their past and, and how they sort of uh, feel a little bit vindicated by them, but also, recognize that they don't have to be defined by the mistakes that they've made previously. And that's a very strong thing in, in, um, in the Catholic world anyway. But the final theme, which kind of moves away from all this, is, is the idea of friendship um, and that, that ability of human interaction versus the idea of you know, following what a, what a book says, following what you know from an academic perspective, literally just spending time with somebody who you're a very different person to, but you can, you can connect with on a human level um, is one of the most powerful things you can do. Lovely. Yeah. I'd, they're all tight. Like I might say in different words, but it's the same thing as what you're saying too. Like that, you know, through that friendship, that, that idea of, of leadership and communication too, the, the, the two of them, these are, these are role models for a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> that idea of confession or, or forgiveness, um, like th- these mistakes that these men have made in their life, but, it leads to further success. They're writing them, and you know everyone is a sinner. So it doesn't. I think that said it doesn't disqualify you from life. Like it's okay, you can <laughs> move on from that. And and that's that's the idea of that perspective between the two. Like they're two people that are both leaders, but see the same thing very differently. And there's nothing wrong with that because that sort of um, you know leads into the idea of, of the Catholic Church and, and their internal struggle, the balance between progress, tradition, the idea of hope and reform, and and the sacrifices that the clergy make like they give their life to the church but they're still human yeah they they still have desires they they still share a glass of wine they still talk about their colleagues that have a cigarette um they talk about their past loves they are human at the end of the day as well Mm. so um they watch sport they play music yeah Yeah, you're right exactly yeah yeah all right what what did you take away from this one well i think it's actually not dissimilar to what you've been talking about obviously you know, these performances are, are wonderful and probably one of the first things that you, that you will think about when you when you think back to this movie. But uh, I think what makes them work even better is seeing a film that is based so heavily on human interaction and how it can form into an unlikely friendship because of the human elements that you just spoke about. And I think that's a really nice touch that, um, nice, very deliberate touch that they brought into to making this film. Yeah. I, I think just like the title, I just think that, I loved how we saw both sides of the two popes. I thought that was really cool. And then also that idea too, that they briefly touch on, there has been in the past two popes at the one time. So um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Which, which is a good little factor to sort of bring in and, and relate to that title too. And obviously I'd, I'd seen this. So I remembered the film. I remembered that it was about friendship and about the conversation. So 
when I was watching it this time, it, just in the back of my mind the whole time, I'm just all I could think about was what's gone wrong for the church. That that was all I could think about most of this film because you know, like I grew up pretty much indoctrinated, like baptism, Catholic primary school, secondary high school. Um, you know, played a big part in my younger life, and you know, I, I went to Europe in t- 2005 for World Youth Day. You know, I stood along the Rhine River in Germany and waved at Benedict. <laughs> you know, as he went down a boat down the river, and I'm, I'm on the side waving at him. And you know, then that night we went to a mass held by Benedict. So, uh, you know, we then lined up for hours at the to go That's see cool. the tomb of John Paul II, and we had mass underneath the Vatican, all these sorts of things. But I'm so far removed from all of this now. Um, so that like the story like this really intrigues me because. What's gone wrong? Um, I had like just found out last week. So the, the primary school I went to, which was a thriving primary school, yeah, like multiple classes in multiple year levels. I heard last week there's two teachers there and there's 30 students from prep to year six. So it's not just the, wow. the faith or the idea, wow. like it's on the verge of closing of closing. Like I, I met my wife at our parish's fate. Like these are these are the things that have sort of led to where I am now. But what's happened? Why is there such a disconnect now between the younger generation in the church. What, what, yeah. So that's just in the back of my mind as I watch this. Well, you're, you're a great example of this because uh, you aren't overly religious these days. Mm, no. Why not? What, what has changed? Because I'm sure whatever answer you have is probably going to be 90% of people's answers is what's happened. That's super true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird to think about it. Like at high school, we had to go to mass once a week, every week at school, mm. let alone the expectations on a weekend too. And now it's like, is it our lives are too busy? The, the idea or the, the how far removed we are from, is it because of Ratzinger, because of his leadership and, and where people were at in society? We're making all this progress. We've, we're, we're realizing the past is not necessarily the right way to have been and we're moving forward. And you put someone like Francis in charge but has he actually made that much change? Like, is it a physical change that we can see now that like can priests marry now? No, they can't. And then, like to me, that's something that should be, I don't mm. see how that can't be something that we can, we can support as society. I like, don't see how we can't support same sex marriage when yeah. we have a referendum in a country that says the country wants this. So a lot of the world wants it. And I get, uh, yeah, anyway, Let's keep going. <laughs> Probably a good point. Yeah. And it's that combined with the fact that there's just a lot more different voices these days. Mm. Um, and a lot more different things to follow, not not religious things, but you know other spiritual ideas and other scientific ideas. And it's so much easier to get that information these days. And you know, religion feels like it's very much handed down from generation to generation. And if you miss a link there, then it's done. And like the twenty twenty one Australian consensus was the first time in Australia. Like we've only got a short history here, but it was the first time that Christianity wasn't identified as like the the majority of what people believe in, um, which is or that they identify as following. So there's well, definitely changes happening. One. I think it was atheism. I think it was yeah, people atheism. don't identify. Like that's the first yeah. time that's been higher than Christianity, which is weird. Yeah. Anyway, did you go on IMDb to look anyone up? No, I didn't. Only two yeah. characters yeah. and I knew <laughs> them both. There was one guy at some stage that um, I was like, was a dead ringer for, um, some, for someone and I was like, nah. I, I forgot to write it down. So I'm <laughs> perfect. That's what this category is for. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Any questions? Uh, my questions, you've basically just answered in, in what you were just saying then. It was about, you know, your, your background and, and, you know, your thoughts on the Vatican City and the Pope and stuff. But I don't really have a question because you, you, you really talked really nicely about it. Good. And the, like the Sistine Chapel is incredible. Like the, I think they said that the, 
like Vatican City is obviously a country, but they've got the most gold of any nation in the world, like just in their buildings and their architecture and their structure. Like it's an incredible place to visit just to see, you know, if if the Vatican was real, let, let's melt some of that gold down and help, you know, feed some of the poor in some of the countries and that could be a good start. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if the Pope will listen to this podcast because maybe there's a few ideas and he might he might hit you up. I think didn't he say it's tiring uh, speaking in English? So uh, he might might give a miss. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. And the only thing, like, and they sort of touch on this at the end. I just my only thought was like, did Benedict resign because of the pressure of his failures to deal with the the abuse allegations or? Was it, and they sort of touch on this a little bit, is it because he was tempted to see, I think they called it his correction. Like he wanted to see what the next Pope was going to do so he could sit there and watch and be like, cool, you try and do a better job than me. Is that where he was at? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I think that's a cynical way to look at it. I almost think that the the correction is almost like putting your hand up saying, oh, I wasn't doing a great job. Maybe someone else can do a better job. Yeah. And I'd like to be able to witness that as almost like, absolving myself because I get to see it happen. Um, but I definitely think it's in this movie anyway, it's, it's definitely the both factors that are that are very important to, to why yeah. he did it. It's tricky because he was like under the pump straight away. As soon as he was elected, then all the, you know, obviously we've got a lot more investigative journalists around now that looked into his history and looked into his association <laughs> with the Hitler youth and things like that. So he was already on the backwards like straight away. So unless he had something progressive to do, he was never going to be, you know, seen as a really successful leader, um, unfortunately. It's the first thing I heard about him when he was yeah. uh, when he when he went into because that, that was that's what sells newspapers or you know yeah. gets clicks. Um, yeah. All right. I think we're ready to wrap it up. Let's uh, give it a rating out of five and come up with a average. Go for it. Yeah. I, I, no surprise. I thought this movie was wonderful. It was a really enjoyable story. It didn't blow me away by any means, but obviously, great characters aided by great performances. And, and keeping that narrative engaging when on paper it really has no right to be that engaging is, is a great feat. Um, I toyed with giving it four stars, but I think it's just got to be three and a half. But it's 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 a good three and a half. Yeah, nice, yeah. I, we've touched on so The performance is top notch. I, I could listen to the conversations between the two of them for hours, um, you know, just going backwards and forwards like a tennis match. Uh, it's really well done. Um you know, there's a lot of complex issues that are, that are in here um, and they make them interesting. Like you said, like who would have thought a, a film about two popes talking would be engaging or interesting. So mm. I just wish that we got more of that for me. <laughs> so but I'm, I'm still giving it a four out of five, um, which gives us a 3.75. So pretty high on our, that, on our list. That fits nicely. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Give us a follow if you can. Question on ask is uh, where's a good place to have a conversation? Where's Ooh, a nice place hello, to sit down like and have that. a convo? Yeah. Oh, we don't do that enough, do we? Yeah, it's a park. It's a great place. Out in the yep. sun. It's a lost. It's a lost art that yeah. in in 2022. Um, you know, obviously after a couple of years of a pandemic, when we focused so much on digital resources, which we were doing too much anyway, mm. the idea of actually having a conversation with someone is a lost art. Good point. Yeah, and even then, even if when you are face to face with people, the temptation sometimes to be like what's going on on my technology or, you know, focusing on your kids on the playground because you can't actually talk properly. You know? <laughs> it's hard. It's very true. All right. Well, we're back next week with another 2019 film. We're near near the end of the 2019 films. It's a Mexican comedy called Como Cato del Salo. Um, it has two English translations. So it's as if from as if fallen from heaven 
or Out of the Clear Blue Sky. Uh, it's directed by Jose Pepe Bogueres and it stars Omar Chaparro. That's what we've got next week for you. Well, I'm going to be blunt, Jesse, and I've already let you know I'm, I'm going on holidays. I'm going on holidays, so you could do that one on your own, um, yep. unfortunately. I'll, uh, okay. I'll be sure to listen to you talk about it, though. Good, and I'm sure you might get a bit of a laugh out of that one. It'll be a, a good chat. <laughs> good, <laughs> always, chat. Be a good chat. Good chat with myself. Um, but as always, it's always nice to chat to someone else. So thank you for, for being here. That was a good one. Absolutely. We're just like the two popes, you and I, just breaking everything down so it makes sense. <laughs> I don't have anything to say to that. I'll see you next time. <laughs> see you, mate. Have a good one.